you know, I got to sit there and watch like one of the greatest athletes of all time, like all the time. Um, I probably went down the road where I talked about his swing too much. What do you got to tell Tiger Woods, really? I mean, honestly, it's Tiger Woods, right? And we're back with another part train. I am one of your co-hosts, Evan Singer. Matt Cermak here, your other co-host. How we doing, guys? What's up, guys? In case you're new, the part train, we use golf to help you live a better life or at least make it less frustrating than golf. Learn how to get better and achieve peak performance on and off the course from PGA Tour Pro's best-selling authors, CEOs, coaches like one of the game's best, Sean Foley, like we had today, and so much more. Oh, yeah. Uh, guys, before we get to this interview, a uh, quick word from our sponsor, Roback. Um, Roback, I just got a text actually from a buddy that said, uh, these t-shirts, these performance tees are the greatest thing I've ever bought. I wear it under my golf shirt, the long sleeves, it's the perfect layer, it's flexy. The short sleeves oh, I play that? tennis, I work out in. I got a long text from my friend, John, I went to college with. Huge fan. The t-shirts are back in stock. The Q-zips are back in stock. It's Q-zip season, vests. Hit the link in the show notes. Um, it's also linked in our Instagram account. And if you're new to Roback, get 15% off your first order. Um, and guys, get in the game. Get some Roback gear. Matt, I, I just can't wait to hear what you're going to say about this interview. This interview was really unlike any interview we've done in over 105 episodes just so deep. Yeah. So, I mean, so many different areas, so much more than a golf swing. John Foley, you know, one of the great teachers of the last 10, 15 years, gave us an hour plus to talk about golf, to talk about the mind, to talk about how to train his experiences with Tiger and other PGA Tour players. Uh, it was unlike anything we've ever done. And, um, I don't know. I think we're pretty grateful to to really spend that kind of time with Sean. So uh, yeah, you guys are you guys are really gonna love it. Yeah, we'll get right to it, guys. Stick with it. I mean, th we definitely go on some some tangents. We talk stardust. We talk a lot of things that you're not used to hearing. But we finish with probably an unbelievable lesson that could change your life, as well as stories about Tiger and Justin Rose and Lydia Ko. I mean, the list goes on. So let's just get right to it. This was an incredible interview. Thanks so much for listening, guys. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter and TikTok at The Part Train. Rate and review us, and we'll see you guys next Sunday. Take Thanks, care. guys. So, Sean, we've got a real brain buster for you to start. Uh, we read that your wife didn't let you tattoo Malcolm X on your back, but we know you have plenty of other tattoos. So... Tell us what tattoos you have and why you got them. Well, there's a plethora uh, of them. Uh, the, the first one that I ever got was in the middle of that queue. And that, that's kanji. It means perspective. So I never, ever intended to get a tattoo ever. I'm, I'm, I'm like when, with needles and like stuff like that, I'm not good with that. So it was never on my thing. But what happened is one of my friends was a drug rep when i was in toronto at glen abbey i was the director of instruction there and one of my boys that i lived with was a pharmaceutical rep for novartis and knew another guy who he worked with who dealt with the children's hospital downtown it's called toronto sick kids it's one of the great hospitals in, in the world and 
then got me in touch with this pediatric uh, specialist or pediatric oncologist, um, which is just crazy that we even have to have something like that, right? Right. Um, and so they came up with this thing. Novartis was going to sponsor it. They're going to bring, you know, four, uh, I think it was around 30 kids. Uh, we had a certain budget. So around from the golf course was a place. It's a great name. It's called Filthy McNasty's. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not a strip club, obviously. Uh, but, it, you know, it had like games and pool tables and, and all that. So we were going to be able to go there and get wings and spend time with the kids and what have you. So I'm getting ready to do like my little one, you know, 20 minute presentation. We got it's, it. We've done it so nicely. Um, these kids are going to have a great time and they get off the bus. And as they get off the bus, way worse than I imagined, uh, the, just the state and health of the kids, um, the kids were all pretty happy and stuff, but they were sick. Right. And so the lady told me that, uh, um, that they didn't mention that all the kids were terminal and I'll, I'll never forget. That was just like, uh, how do you not mention that? Right. Cause, cause you're not prepared for anything anyways. You can prepare and the, the brain is interesting and it's, it, well, it's more than interesting, but I can literally imagine things that my brain thinks is actually happening that people are doing it right now politically in, in every different way. So it, you know, you start to lose the idea behind like truth and fiction. And then the fiction kind of becomes your own personal truth. Like we're basically just the idea of I am is just made up of so many mental constructs and narratives and cognitive biases. And it's so fascinating, right? You can't, yeah. you get, you can't take yourself that seriously, really. It's just, you can't, it, it like, you're not as big an idiot as you think you are. And so <laughs> as, as soon as she said that, it was the whole day I just knew I was walk. I was helping these kids who were all going to, like, we're all going to die anyways, but they're all going to die like within a period of time. And it just was, it blew me away. So when I got done, I drove down the street. Uh, we used to go to this pub all the time. And down the street next to it was a place called Way Cool Tattoo. So I went in and just got like really small because I'm like not tough, uh, especially not as tough as those kids and got perspective there. As, as I was saying, I just went down to way cool tattoo uh, and then got that there. And then I don't remember. Oh, and then when Quinn was born, um, my oldest son, I just put a cue around it. And then Kieran was born. And uh, he was really sick when he was born. He, he somehow is fine, but it wasn't supposed to happen like that. So that symbolizes courage, um, which I always thought was a synonym for bravery, but it's not even the same family of words. So it's Kura uh, comes from the, uh, it's Greek for whole, uh, um, oh, what is it? Kura uh, means basically with your whole heart. Hmm. So to be courageous is to, is less of like the mind. It's more of, you know, kind of your heart. And so I did that. And then, um, uh, I'm a big Bob Marley fan, a uh, huge Bob Marley fan. He pretty much, my dad would say he partially raised me. Um, <laughs> and so in redemption song, so right there it is. Yeah. 
So that's what in, that is. Okay. In Redemption Song, the, 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 the second verse where it says, emancipate yourselves from mental slavery, none but, none but ourselves can free our mind, right? So mm -hmm. I remember asking my dad when I was about 11, like what that meant. And uh, it really became like a symbol of pretty much the next however many years of my life. So then my dad had me read the social contract, Rousseau, uh, where he says, man is born free yet everywhere, where, yet everywhere he is in chains. And then goes on to talk about outside elements outside of you, government and religion and blah, blah, blah. So my dad said, when you, when you, when you understand what that means, let me know. And so it's very similar into the same idea of, of the Marley one. So pretty much by the time I was 28, I just called him one day after being wrong, like whatever, 55 times and when I'd figured it, you know, think about how many times you've figured it out. Right. Yeah. Um, and then I just said, uh, man is born free at everywhere. He is in chains, uh, shackled to the confines of his own mind. So pretty much, pretty much from that day on, is why you guys uh, know who I am. And so that, mm -hmm. that, that understanding was so massive that I was fully responsible for all things. Massive, right? Yeah. As soon as you completely get rid of victimization within yourself, then you're free to go, right? Um, and then I got a Mandela one here. Um, Basically, it says that if people can learn to hate, they can be taught to love. Um, and then above it, another ode to Bob Marley with my, when I was a Rastafarian. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's, that's like my second, second one. Um, and that fun, that's a funny story too, because this guy sent me to this different place and I went in and there was the girl and she did it. And as she's doing it, she's like, How's it feeling? I'm like, yeah, really, it's so sore. And she's like, yeah, I'm getting used to it. You know, this is my second week. And I'm like, <laughs> Great. so, yeah. So I, I go to the gym and see the guy that with the other tattoo artist. And he's like, oh, bud, you got to You got to go to the doctor. Like, it's not supposed to do that. And, and I said, well, I, I went to the place and he goes, who'd you see? And I said, I told him and he goes, I uh, meant I should have told you not her. And I'm like, wow, that's a big error. So yeah. luckily it wasn't anything like crazy fancy hard to do. Um, and then over here I have some Arabic. It means uh, from within. Um, they're, you know what? They're kind of, they're just kind of reminders. Like um, I think when you talk about the things like we're discussing and the stuff that you guys like talk about, we're all hypocrites, right? Like I'm doing my best. I, I'm not my best, uh, right? right? I'm, I'm, do, I'm, 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 I'm doing, I don't even like the saying I'm doing my best because I don't even know. That's like when someone's like, that guy's nice or it's a nice day. It's like, it's not even a word, right? Right, um, right. <laughs> I, I, I'm, doing, I, I'm doing my best without realizing all the things that are holding me back. <laughs> so <laughs> the, the more you realize that, uh, you get a lot clearer and then you realize that pretty much anything you see outside of you is just a direct reflection of what's inside of you. And right. so the problem I have with like mindset and stuff like that is it's once again, it's like such a popular word, right? Mindset. Yeah. What does that even mean, dude? Like, so player comes up, gets on the range, he's in a shitty mood. 
bad attitude. I mean, how many times have I seen a guy shoot 66 with a bad attitude? Like every time. So when people like, you know, you get up that attitude of a champion. I, I don't really know what that is. These are all just throwouts in, in bad speeches, right? Mm-hmm. And people go, ooh, yeah, it's all about confidence and patience. I, I don't know about you, but a lot of times I have no problems with patience. And then sometimes, rarely, I do. But when I'm being patient, I'm not telling myself to be patient. I'm just patient. Right. So if you said to me, like, my, my little one, it was nine. He's a beauty, man. He, this kid has just got rainbows coming out. He's, he wants, he, I just learned who this guy was because I'm not very knowledgeable about sports. And uh, so he's a running back named Christian McCaffrey. Yeah. You guys know who he is? Yeah, for the Panthers. Yeah. We, yeah. It, yeah. They need him back. Yeah. That's, what, that's what he wants to be. He wants to be, he, he wants to be exactly him. Um, so he's playing football. He's doing all that, but the kids just got the, he's just got such an incredible spirit. And, uh, uh, one day we were in the car and I was on the phone with one of my players and he was talking about the, the need to be happy and this and that and blah, blah, blah. And, um, I'm not a big believer in, in that either, because <laughs> as my son says, I said, hold on, hold on. I said, Kieran, say hello. He said, oh, hello. And I said, Kieran, how, how, how you doing? I'm good. How you feeling? Yeah, I'm pretty happy. And I said, well, why are you happy? And he's like, um, he's like, look, he's, he's like, can't answer it. He's, he, and then he's trying to answer it. And he's like, well, um, no idea, right? And I said, what about yesterday? Oh, yesterday I was sad. Why were you sad? He goes on for 10 minutes. So the thing is, you don't know why you're happy, but you totally know why you're pissed off. And so one is full of thought and the other one is absolved of any thought. And so that's, I think psychology becomes so important to us because we don't understand the power of physiology. And so if you look at, if you look at, the Buddha, Jesus, Muhammad, Krishna, all the kind of enlightened ones, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they prayed, they chanted, and they, and they, and they meditated. <laughs> right. That's it. That's what they did. That's how all, that's all, all that stuff came to them, right? Yeah. And so, the, the, um, and that's chanting is a, really really early part of every religion and transcendental meditation is the only form of meditation that use chanting um and so that for anyone listening like uh, there's a lot of tm places there all through the different states um it's really cool it is a lot of people find meditation very difficult and that's because it is um this is more applicable i think to 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 the western ways the way the way that we are um really it's it's super interesting stuff but and i've done all kinds of stuff i went to like a seven day silence meditation retreat yeah i basically is is to me when i had all those self-help books and when i had all these things i was doing um man i just thought everything was wrong with me because i'd read these pages and be like this is impossible to do like, why can I not be grateful for my life? Like, what the fuck is wrong with me? Mm-hmm. And, and so it's, 
it's kind of the shame, the, the shame and the, the guilt. So I think of it now based on just, you know, when you speak to someone, you say, you know, I really resonate with this. Well, what's, where's resonate come from? It comes from resonance. So we're, we're talking about vibrations and frequencies. That's human beings are electromag, uh, electromagnetic fields. That the problem is the two of you look so different and then someone else looks so different. We see ourselves as like form, but we're not even form, we're formless. I mean, 99% of yourself is drenched in water. You're made up of atoms and molecules, elements, stars that blew up two billion years ago, three gases. I mean, look at how, look, look at how incredible we are, if you just think about that. I find you somebody who's very interested in the facts, why things are the way they are, why people tick the way they tick, and getting down to the, to the bottom of it all. So you became a teacher. Like, what is the mystery of golf and the I'm trying to understand the game that is hard to understand? Is that what drew you in? Because we had saw, I, I think I had read that you saw a session with Ledbetter and Feldo in the early 90s, and that was a big, you know, the great, best player in the world, and they were working together. But And some of that stuff, too, it's like, you know, some of that stuff as you get older, you realize some of those stories is like, my prom date's a lot prettier now than she was that night. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> right like, like my, my last my last hole in one it was 307 yards uphill in the snow right so it's time, into the wind as, as, as time goes on the, the story gets better i think but like shit man every time i came to the house my parents were on the couch reading like that's all i remember and so reading was like it wasn't even mandatory i just think you copy what you see i just i just really think you do and that's why you know the, the early first seven years of a kid's life, their environment experience is gonna do, is gonna do so much. We don't, we don't come to the earth with much. I mean, think about it, right? Like a deer in the wild is a deer in one day. It's like a full deer. It can do everything a deer does. Yeah. Okay, it can run really fast. It can, it's a deer. A human baby takes, how, how, how long would it take for a human baby to be able to take care of themselves for a day? I don't even know. Like, I don't even think my nine-year-old could do it. So <laughs> it, it, we, we, don't, we, we don't arrive with a lot of hardware. You know, our eye color, our hands, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, of course. But we do arrive with a lot of software. Hmm. And so I think, I think that's a big part of it. And, you know, people have low self-esteem. And especially this generation, uh, you know, this 16 to whatever 25 year old generation I'm coaching because they've not like they've, they've hardly had to earn anything. Right. And so everyone wants a life without problems, but that's the problem. Like to me, like when you solve problems, you become more um, competent. And when you go through shit, then the next time you go through it, you're just better at it. So, like we're avoiding all the struggles and that's the problem. Like it's, we're trying to create this world where no one goes through anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And you know what I mean? And, and so, yeah. And it can be fixed on your phone for example, right? Oh no, no dude. Look at what, look at what, look at what we're doing right here. I mean, this is, you know, this, this is crazy to me 10 years ago. This is not even, this isn't, this is like was 200 grand or something. Right. I mean, this, this phone I'm looking at right now, have you guys seen have you guys seen that movie uh oh what's the name of it hidden figures 
about the three African-American women who worked at NASA? Oh yeah, I did, yeah. So good, right? Yeah. This phone is more powerful than that room that was a computer. Yeah, totally. Right, the chip is what? The chip's like the, I don't know, the end of a pen. I mean, it's cr I mean bonkers, right? Mm -hmm. Too much. It's, it, and here's the problem, I think, is if you look at a human being in 1750, right? We are more similar to like early human beings. Not much had, you know, not much had happened uh, as far as human beings go. Now, everything is accelerated so fast. And we don't have the brain to keep up. We don't have the brain to keep up with it. And we, so we have this primal brain that's part reptilian, part primate. And we have a limbic system and amygdala and we have a frontal cortex and all these things, right? So yep. I think that the, the, the danger is like when people don't realize the nervous system is everything. And so like, what have we always been told, like when we're panicking or say we fell off our bike and, you know, we broke our leg, what the firemen tell, tell us to do? Breathe. Breathe, yeah. Breathe, right? People say, going to get up to give a speech, you know, make sure you take some deep breaths. Yeah, yeah. For 35 minutes before you do it. In between every shot, not in your pre-shot routine, which I think is not even what people think it is. Pre-shot, a pre-shot. I, I don't know what that is. What is a pre-shot routine? They say your pre-shot routine is not good enough. No, you just don't hit it straight. <laughs> okay. This is Let's, funny because Matt is a big pre-shot routine guy. So we should unpack this. No, no. Hey, look, look, there is, there is, there is I, such that's a thing. Just what I call, that's just what I call it from growing up playing, but I, I right? think you're on, you're on to something. <laughs> but there's, there, there's, the thing is you do the routine the same all day and the shots are way different, right? It's yeah, like, totally. It, you, you gotta, yeah. you know, you gotta remember, right? The, the brain is, one of the brain's main goals is just to constantly be on the lookout to detect threats. Okay, yep. so now, now you got a world-class player and they don't play well and they finish the day and you say, hey, it's just golf. You think it's just golf to them in their brain? Hmm. It's their identity, dude. It's yeah. their life. It, it, maybe it shouldn't be. I, but I'm sure if we all got cancer, we'd realize that what we've been really concerned about we wouldn't be right you know what i mean yeah so it, for, for the fortunate people who get cancer and beat it i've had so many of them tell me it's a new lease on life you can't learn that dude un unless you 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 go through it so it's more the function that if we're there to detect threat if we lose oxygen levels in red blood cells we'll go into fight or flight brain doesn't brain has no idea that it's a back nine that I've played shitty on before, okay? It's, it's, it's like, it's fully aware mm -hmm. of, of the connection. It doesn't know that that's not a saber-toothed tiger. It doesn't. Right. So that, this is, it's way deeper than sports psychology. This is, about, this is about progressive neuroscience that maybe for the first time, um, with EEGs and stuff like that, we've been able to measure the electrical uh, actions of the brain so we know what's going on and it all yep. points to the same it all points to the same thing you get a guy who's got issues with his chipping man as soon as he misses a green it's he stops breathing it starts i mean what what about if you do it on the last hole of a rider cup and lose the rider cup you think you come back from that i mean yeah you you you, you can but everyone's different you you can't come back from it if you haven't been through a lot
Yeah. If you've been through a lot, I mean, what, what separates a guy in Navy SEALs who makes it? Look, they all qualify. Why does one make it and why, why does one not? Because one can endure more pain, period. Right. One can endure more craziness. So I'm not going to think that he came from the neighborhood I live in. Totally. Right. So, Sean, let me ask you, how much does this stuff, because we're so passionate about this stuff. I mean, the fact that, and I actually, I coach about stress to corporations. I actually have one on Friday to a financial company, and I speak about a lot of this. And so it, I've always been fascinated you know, I've had friends that have overdosed on drugs and suicide, and it, it's just crazy about the impact of the mind and how it totally changes the experience that we're having externally. So thinking about you as a teacher and a coach, you know all this stuff, but a lot of these top players, yeah, I know they have mental coaches, but a lot of them, you know, you think like DJ, I mean, that guy is as abstract of a mind as you get. He sees the ball, he hits the ball. And I know a lot of the guys don't want to try and think about what they're doing. How do you integrate this knowledge you have on the mental side when, you know, you're, you're technically a swing coach? Like, do you integrate that with players? Some players want to talk about it more than others. How does that work with your day-to-day? It's pretty much like 80% of what I do. Interesting. It's, it's, just, it's just, you know, like Nick Saban's not a football coach. Nick, Nick, Nick Saban – grows young men's understanding of what it means to be on a team and an understanding of football. He's, I mean, yeah, he's a football coach. John Wooden was a basketball coach, but you, you know, you hear the, you, you hear the quotes from Kareem and all the guys who went to UCLA, man, he, they didn't, they, they didn't see him like that at all. They, they just, they just saw an incredibly impressive man who taught them how to organize themselves. That's look, Tiger Woods, bud. In all the time I work with him, I learned really early on when he told me 7 a.m. and I got there at 10 to 7, and he goes, you're late. So if, if he told me 7, I would just be there at 6 and wait. And so I can't tell you how many of my other players have no idea what time it is. So it's 8 o'clock. If they tell me 8 o'clock, I still stop at Starbucks and know that I'll be decent at 8.30. <laughs> so... Like just little things like that, you know, it, it, it's, it's, it's understanding, like being there, being present with what you're doing. And so the, the, best, the, the, the best way to stop when you are overthinking is just to breathe. And the fact is, it's not just to breathe. Um, I'm starting to work with this company called NeuroPeak Pro. And oh, we had them on the show, Andy Matthews. Yeah. And he's yep. awesome. Yep. And so um, I've been down this breathing journey for many years and then one of my young players Carl Juan was using it so Andy and I got together and talked and that that is the future of what we're talking about here okay we're, yeah. we're talking about uh, we are in a time where we have the ability to not guess because we can measure you know and then there's a spiritual side to the whole thing too like think about Danny Willis sure. in, in in 2016 at the masters right uh he's qualified for the masters you know he's played it before it's his favorite place uh just favorite place um nicole gives birth to zach and says the baby came slightly early so she said why don't you just go play (laughs) so he's danny comes from a great family like 
a really close family. He's a great dad and a husband and stuff. So he just gets on a plane and flies over. So, you know what? He, he's the feeling after you have a child. It doesn't last forever when then you realize like, oh, wow, this is a lot of work. <laughs> but the honeymoon part of having a child is this, you float. And so Danny shows up, you know, and he's been playing well. And if he misses the cut, he gets to go back home. You can't. Yeah. So the, so the no thing downside. is like, what I, what I ask players all the time is, is like, what do you have to lose anyways? Like, what is it that you have to lose? Because to me, that's just teeing off of the gun to your head. It's like, what do you have to lose? I mean, it's not Afghanistan. Right. You're not going to lose your life. You're not going to lose your job. What, 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 do you, what do you have to lose? You know, one of my players said to me one time, he says, we're teeing off and we're like final group on Sunday. He's like, yeah, man, today's going to be a long day. And I said, and I could hear him go, you know, today's going to be a long day. And I said, uh, man, it's going to be 24 hours like the rest of them, bud. And he's like, you know, you're so right. I can't tell you like those little comments like that, where it's just like realign them to like, yo, what do you, where, 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 where are you going? You can go there if you want, but I don't think it's that necessary. We need to prepare to go and play. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm sure that you're anxious and excited and that's awesome, but too much of that and we're going to have problems. <laughs> so what if a player sure. says, I'll lose my tour card? You know, we had Brendan Todd on the show a year ago. He's in a great story. Hey, right? you know what? That should be ESPN's athlete of the year. Not even comeback athlete, athlete of the year. I, I yeah. remember, I remember him playing with Justin Rose right when it was like really bad. And he was playing with Justin Rose at Zurich. And I remember on the fifth hole, Rosie putting his arm around him as he walked down the fairway with him. And Rosie's, Rosie's a great guy, but he's very business. Yeah. He, right. Sometimes he doesn't remember who he plays with. Yeah. So I, I, I'll, ne I'll never that's, forget it. I, I, I've, never seen, yeah. I've never seen balls go more offline. So to, to, to watch then what he did, forget about it. Guys, my, he's like basically my hero right now, I think. Think about how he, how he got help. He, he just went to someone who's technically a fireman. <laughs> right. Ward. Yeah. Yeah. Ward. Well, we had him on too. I mean, it's unbelievable. It, it, it's amazing. Right. It, and so, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying like just a fireman or just a golf coach. It, right. It's the label, the label. Like I'm so tired of hearing people, you know, talk in the sports psych world about, about, you know, patience and perspective. And look, I'm telling you, at many times during the day, I have great perspective. Then some days I don't. I don't really know. I can't put my finger on when my perspective is good, why it is good. I think the default mechanism in human beings is to clarity. I think the first thing that we feel when we enter the earth is our mother's love. I think we are resonances of vibrations and frequencies. That's why you say, I like that person's energy. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's all these kind of... Um, combos but then you know then you can go a little bit down the road of like just getting people to understand like you know like communicating is hard and not communicating is hard right being married is hard being married is hard 
being divorced is hard. We all have a choice at the end of the day what our heart is going to be because it's going to be hard. And, right. and that's where I think we run into like real issues is when we're trying just to make it easy rather than accept it, like accept it for what it is. Like, I just don't think enough players accept this sheer difficulty of golf. So they're frustrated often because they think they're this good, but they're only this good. And so the distance in between those two is going to be frustration. And I see it with men like that. And with the girls, they're this good and think they're this good. And now you're getting into cognitive biases and double standards. Yep. Definitely. Right? I mean, Sean, we it, oh, totally. It's just definitely so, it's want to so talk. much. It's so much. It's so interesting to hear you talk about uh, tour players. And you obviously work with amateur players, too. A lot of our listeners, as you can imagine, are amateur golfers are looking to improve their games one way or the other. So for the listeners out there, Sean, like – you talk a lot about breathing, and I think we can get more into it, but what, what do the, am, the amateur golfer that wants to get better, what do they need to stop obsessing over? And maybe where do, they, where do you think they need to be spending more time when they have the time? Obsession is a negative frequency anyways, right? The problem is obsession feels like love, but it's not. Right. Right? Like, so, <laughs> so when, I thought I, when, when I was 16 and I thought I loved Melissa McLean, the reason she wouldn't talk to me is because she knew I was obsessed with her. <laughs> <laughs> you had a problem. <laughs> oh, Melissa, if you're out there. Um, yeah. Those, the, 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 uh, you know, the thing is, though, is because that's so long ago, I just, I can't even remember how desperate and how awful life was then when Melissa McLean would not accept me. And what was wrong with me? Was it my height? Was it my pimples? Was it my fucking glasses? What, you know what I mean? Like, and... And so, you know, our kids are going to go through things like that, too. But now we're like, oh, let's talk. Are we OK? Are you are you OK? It's OK. No, no. you got to go through it to get to it. Like, that's a big piece of the puzzle. You can't get to the top of the summit if you don't climb the thing. And so I, I think when it comes down to amateurs, um, I've done so many pro-ams, like in 14 years, so many pro-ams. Because I, I, I always walk with my players because... They, if I was paid on the range, I'd be Jeff Bezos, and I'm not Jeff Bezos. So I go on the course to see what's <laughs> actually going on. Right. Right. We, we, make, we make practice sense. and fulfill our, <laughs> yeah, we, we practice and fulfill our egos for an hour and a half and then go out and realize we haven't executed one shot we'll need on the course and then we're sad again. Um, but oh, I do it all the time. It drives me nuts. I can't tell you how many times you're sitting there on the range and they're hitting it good. And you're a swing perv, so you're loving it. And then you go, oh, my God, we just hit 107 irons, and this course is full of three irons and four irons. Well, we're not really tempted to hit those because those make us look really human, and we don't like to appear human. Um, yeah, it's, it's funny in here, boys. It's really funny in here. Um, and so, it, it, look, the most important thing is it takes, it takes one to know one. So imagine if you were an alcoholic and you went to your first AA meeting and you told your whole story and all that. And then you said to the counselor, like, what was your issue with alcoholism? And the counselor said, oh, I've never had a, I've never had a drink. They, they would lack the empathy necessary to do the job. There'd be no connection when we get to that frequency again. So when I do these programs, watch these amateurs, you know, they all kind of slice it, right? Pretty much all of them. Sure. But they, they, they're fairly consistent with their slice. And then they get to the green in two, uh, some three, and then they just take five shots from there. So from 30 yards in, 
think on the PGA Tour, it takes 2.31 strokes to get the ball in the hole. And from 100 yards, it's like 2.7. So you're a PGA Tour pro, practicing from 30 to 100 yards isn't really that helpful, right? Especially with how you're going to get paid. Um, hit another 43 irons. Um, but with amateurs, that's not the stat. It's way different. From 30 yards in, it's like more of the strokes. And that's the thing about short game, right? It's inexpensive to practice. Um, I think most people, if they go there and have some idea, you know, they get a good, a good lesson kind of on just the simple principles of it. I think more people would enjoy it, but everyone just loves to see that driver fly. Yeah. Right? And don't get me wrong, the driver is really important. Um, Bryson DeChambeau has showed us uh, to drive it much better than you did is very helpful. But that being said, he's still third in short game and 11th in putting at the U.S. Open. Right. If he's 45th and if he's, if you look at the last 10 winners, it's all been due to approach play and putting. Yeah. Now I would argue it's a lot easier to approach the green from 140 than from 180. That's just math. Sure. Ball's got more spin. It's not moving as fast. You know, there's, there's a lot to being closer to the greens helpful, but everyone just missed that. Yeah. Like, they're showing before and, before and after pictures. And I'm like, show the before and after of his chipping and pitching. Creativity, too, especially at the U.S. Open. It was pretty impressive. It was cra- – I mean, a, a bunch of times <laughs> I thought he was dead because I know him well and I've watched him for years. And I always struggled to see, like, how some of these things that he does would help with short game. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, he's he, – I mean, the guy is – he's astonishing, really. I mean, I'm, I, I don't think I could be more impressed. I think it's one of the coolest things I've seen in my 14 years out there. How someone just said, all right, this is my plan. This is my, and this is what I'm going to do. And he did it. And he took, you know, years to do it. He, he took years to do it. But yeah, for the most part, you know, people come out, want to hit their drivers. Look, most people's golf swings are a function of the form of their body. So when you watch some of the top players in the world and the workouts they do and the type of stretching they do and all that stuff, you know, for people to be able to have better movement, then they're going to be able to move this object on the outside of them better. And so, you know, getting into, getting into yoga, Pilates, there's so many different types of things that you can do for stretching. But, I mean, if you watch Cameron Champ, if, he's, if, he's, if Cameron's work for, with his, with his is a doctor of chiropractic who's also a trainer, he works with him for like four or five days. It gets psycho impressive what he can do. I mean, hmm. I'm talking about like it looks like ninja shit. Um, yeah. So when, you, when people watch him swing and they see these positions that the club gets into, they go to the range and try to emulate it or they go to some coach who thinks he knows how to make it look that way where he's doing it through sheer athleticism. Yeah. It's sheer athleticism. Yeah. Of course there's some golf stuff in there that we've put in there, but the first time I watched him hit a golf ball, his swing's not a whole lot different. Now his skills are way better, but his swing is, I mean, I watched this kid at 15 and I was just like, Holy shit. This is out of this world. Yeah. I mean, you know, like maybe, Sean, maybe talk about the differences of distance achieved 
through Cameron Champ's efficiency versus a Bryson. I know you're really deep into biomechanics. Part of me wonders if is Bryson's muscle mass what's going to support his body through all of this? Or because I sometimes hurt just watching him hit a driver and I'm 33 that does yoga. So it's like, it's interesting to think about those two different ways. I mean, Cameron Champ goes after it too, but they, they hit, they hit it long very differently. At the end of the day, it's how much force are they putting into the club, right? Yeah. Um, some people move side to side in their swing. Some people rotate. Some people jump. Some people do all three. Some people do everyone does two. So that's what's just happening in the ground. But now what's happening in the grip? So I've, I've given lessons to wounded warriors before, and the ones who have lost both of their legs or are paralyzed can still hit a golf ball really far. Hmm. The ones who have lost both of their arms they can't do it. So the hands and arms are integral, the, the, by far the most important part. So then human beings are made up with slings of fascia that work across the body. So you have anterior front of you, posterior back of you. So you have all these slings that, that, that happen during the golf swing and generate elastic energy. And then you have stretch shorten cycles in all the joints. So it's how we load the tissue. So the thing is a golf club, the weight of it, the amount of force needed to move it isn't that much different than like squash or badminton. It's not a sledgehammer. So, Bryson, when he was I play a fair amount of squash too. <laughs> right. So it's, you know, of, of, of course, you know, of course, transferring pressure through the ground and creating torque is kind of the earthquake to the tsunami, but world-class squash players could be on one foot falling over and smash that thing. So, yeah. it, but it, there's, it, there's, there's elastic aspects to how they're able to do it. And if you look at how the really long hitters, Above the diaphragm in transition, it stays pointed away from the target, but everything below it is opening up. And so these counter rotations that we're creating and then going into an extension phase, um, you know, why do you think guys deadlift? They go from flexion into extension. It's a power move, right? So, totally. but, but, but that being said, you got to be able to contract the muscles as well. So Cameron is just, and then I think at a deeper level, when you look at guys like Cam who, are the fastest, but look like they're not really trying that hard. Right. Then you, you got to look to the nervous system, and then we'd probably have to do a biopsy and, and look at uh, muscle tissue and motor units. Um, you know, it's just a total gift. But, Bri but, but understand, Bryson, when he first came on tour, you know, he's fully ulnar. The club is an extension of his arm, so he's going to lose a big angular component, which is, call it 20% of the speed, right? He's, he's trying to hit shots where his head never moves. So he's kind of fixated around the, the left leg as his front post. And he's creating what they call in the golf machine, um, uh, a shiftless single axis pivot. He was doing everything against speed and still had 177 ball speed. <laughs> so then he widens his stance, drops his hands, makes a longer backswing, turns more, creates more torque in the ground, more vertical force, 
and goes from 177 to 198 or 200. So you just look, if you're at 162 right now, you're going to max out probably at like 180. Now, how, how do you do that in a way where you don't injure yourself? Because remember, a lot of times we can't slow down what we speed up. And so when I, when I can't decelerate properly, I'm, 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 I'm going to struggle. I'm going to get injured. So yeah, how, how, they, how they do it, it's all the same principles of physics and kinetics uh, and kinematics. Um, people just do it slightly different, like Gary Woodland, for example, right? Gary Woodland is not a vertical jumper. He's linear and rotational. Bubba is uh, very rotational and very vertical. But yeah. the fact of the matter is the club is moving fast because their hands are moving fast. So I, I, I have to believe, really I, <laughs> I, yeah, I have to believe that, I mean, what's Rory at? Like zero miles an hour here. And by the time his hands go 18 inches, they're moving 23 miles an hour or something like that. Well, that's not just happening because my hips are opening. <laughs> do you see what I'm saying? So there's no yeah, way. Yeah. How do I move my hands faster? I move them faster. So, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, it's uh, the, the, the thing is most of my good friends on tour, are all sports chiros and osteos and trainers and guys in biomechanics. So they've showed me that it's not easy to do something like that and go uninjured. And then they've taught me a lot about the body and human movement. And, you know, like, look, for example, at sprinters, look at how high their Achilles inserts. So when they create linear force, when they create horizontal force across the track, so much of that has to do is they're spring loaded. They're not even, they're not even running, they're jumping. Right. You, you, see, you, you, see the same, you see the same thing. You see the same thing with NBA players. Every NBA player who jumps out of the gym doesn't have massive Arnold Schwarzenegger calves. It's not about that at all. So it's, 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 it's these ideas, these combos. Um, Cameron is, is just absolutely an athlete. I mean, he can throw a football like 75 yards. <laughs> right? So, yeah, yeah, you can get like, like Lydia, Lydia Coe last year at this time. I think she was around 230 carry. And we now can carry it 272. Some of that is geometry of like better attack angles and, and playing with lofts to get optimal things. But she's 13 miles an hour faster. Wow. Well, she put, on, she put on 12 pounds of muscle. Yeah. So, you know, all, all of that helps. Yeah. Absolutely. But, yeah. Oh, go ahead. But, but people look at the, the legs as, as like, why is she so much stronger? But she's been, she's been going to this climbing gym. Like she's addicted to this climbing gym mm. where she just climbs all day. Like right here, guys, hands and arms, man. Look at, look at, look at, uh, I got to plug this. I got to plug this phone in. Look at, Look at a good example would be to look at major league baseball players, right? Yeah. So they, you know, they, they all have, they all have like, they all have big legs. Um, but when you see these guys forearms and their hands, I mean, they've just been holding on to this bat their whole life. Their, their arms it's not really their biceps or their triceps, but it's their forearms and, and those types of things. So when you watch a guy go at a pitch and then stop and hold it back so it doesn't go past the base, you know how strong you have to be to do that? Yep. 
So yeah. you got to be able, you got, once again, you got to be able to slow down what you sped up. That's really a sign of strength. You could test verticals by seeing how far, how, from how high people could, could, like someone would jump off of something and land without getting injured. It's, so it's, it's, it's all so fascinating, but because we're so early in the idea, look, pro professional long drivers are not going to be playing professional golf. And right. I, don't, yeah. I don't know how if you practice with a 48-inch driver for a month, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know how that, just with the way you have to release it and, and how much earlier that you have to release it to, to help it catch up. I don't know how you can do that without affecting like your iron play. Hmm. So, I, 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 but, but if anyone's going to figure it out, I would put my money on Bryson. Right. Yep. I mean, this is, this is 24 seven, dude, this guy's 24 seven. Yeah. And I, 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 uh, I, I, I love it. You know, your players, Cameron, Lydia, Justin Rose, and you mentioned Tiger. We want to talk to you a little bit about Tiger. Obviously, you spent considerable time with him and had a lot of success with him. And Sean, when I when I listen to you talk, you know, you have kind of a you have a there's a side to you that's a very and, and if you don't like the word, just tell me a kind of a warrior military kind of side to you mindset. And you also have this spirituality, you know, solemn silence side of you. Sure. That's important, right? So I'm curious, would you? Did you and Tiger bond over that in your first couple sessions? And what were those first couple sessions like um, as you guys were beginning to kind of feel each other out? But I, I see some – Tiger's got the Buddhism side, and he's got – on his mom, and he's got dad military. And I hmm. just – I'm curious in how you guys, you know, formed and came together and what, what that was all like. I don't know, man. It was tough, right? Like, it was tough because – I start with Tiger pretty much September of 2010, which is still less than a year after everything fell apart. I don't think we've ever witnessed a fall from grace like that. Like the, the, the media, the, I mean, it, his, his, his old house is less than a mile from my house right now. And so like the streets had, you know, media things with the dishes, like for a month, up and down, TMZ, you name it. So he's still not even in the, he's still not even in the arena yet. Like he's not even close yet. And then as I started coaching him, his last coach writes a book called The Big Miss. I mean, so how am I looking, right? Right. You know, you're doing something and you know, your soon-to-be ex-wife or your ex-wife comes to pick up the kids. These are all things like that I, I'm sure you never even visioned. And so, you know, the, the fact that it got so out of hand, you know, his ability to compartmentalize things is pretty impressive, but that's dangerous, right? Oh, my God. Yeah. And so at the end of the day, I just, you know, I, I, uh, it was just, it was just, it, it was extremely difficult because he's just had so many of his friends, you know, ditch him, all that. Now you're someone who's new, you're there. You have it in your mind why people know you. You're in a bad place in your heart and in your mind. I'm sure he would agree to all this. Um, and then I'm not so sure if you can be, but I, I just, I don't really know how prepared I was at that moment 
like for such a massive, the, the problem is it was such a dream for me to do it. So I was kind of blindsided by my own ego and didn't really recognize it uh, till mm-hmm. it took me a minute. Um, you know, I got to sit there and watch like one of the greatest athletes of all time, like all the time. Um, I probably went down the road where I talked about his swing too much. What do you got to tell Tiger Woods, really? I mean, honestly, it's Tiger Woods, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I never think about things as if I could do it again. I just think that's irresponsible. I, I don't think there's any reason. It's like, it's like worrying about something in the future. What's the use, right? So right. going back and thinking about, you know, in hindsight, I mean, who doesn't know it in hindsight? Like, it's another dumb word, right? When someone's like, well, in hindsight, well, who cares? Like, it's whatever, whatever it is, it's over. Um, it'll never, it'll always be what it was. So, yeah, it, it was just, you know, and at that point, you know, the media attention had changed from always positive to very negative. You know, he used to go into press conferences and they just ask him about all the great things he did. Now, he, every single Wednesday, he goes to the press conference and they ask about when did the affairs start? When did the, 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 the I mean, it's just really hard um yeah. really really hard um but yeah so grateful man like what a what a special what a special opportunity so was there anything other i mean you mentioned the the time thing right where you immediately saw like this guy is i mean you knew he was different obviously but in regards to working inside his circle that was the first thing was there anything else where you were didn't expect or something that you saw in his process. He's talked a lot about now with TaylorMade and the various videos they do. I've been amazed by the way he talks about things. The feel that he has in his hands is so precise and yet so abstract at the same time. Like, did you notice anything that amazed you by working with him every day where you're like, holy shit, this is incredible? Yeah, yeah no, I mean, he, he's definitely... He, he's, he's definitely like super visual, super kinesthetic. He's, I mean, basically, if you're the best of all time, then that just means you're the best learner. Hmm. Yeah. I think so. You know what I mean? Yeah. And he just, yeah, he would, you know, he'd do like, he'd do things like, I think the only time I ever saw anything like that, he's pretty to himself with things like that, right? Yeah. I think those are the things that he holds very sacred. Um, that he shares more now. He, he's who he is right now at the moment, and when I started with him is not is the, very this, different. Yeah, this person's grown a ton, a tremendous amount, mm-hmm. right? So, and then I mean, just imagine, dude, being that famous, and it, you, no one, no one would want it. They they'd enjoy it for a week, and then after a month, they'd say, "Why do you think so many people who get to number one then just drop real quick?" They want to be great, but they don't really want all that. So it's like right. well, pretty easy. I don't like this. So if I play bad, probably not even on purpose, um, it'll go away. <laughs> so yeah. I mean, he's pretty much as famous as like almost anybody in the world at that, at, that, at that moment, right? Yeah. So, I mean, I don't even know how he handled all that. That, that it, it's, it's amazing, right? But yeah. The one time I remember, I, I was either there or I was told the story when I was, I, I can't totally remember, but they brought him a bunch of drivers. 
and said, look, they're all, you know, basically the same weight and blah, 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 da, 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 whatever. And um, he hit them all. And then he said, I like the heavy one. And they said, uh, no, they're all the same weight. And they, they weighted again. It was like two grams heavier or something. And he said it felt like a pound. Justin Rose once did a thing with the, with the, Crazy. With the seven iron. He, for whatever reason, he was testing another shaft. And they brought the seven iron. We were at Firestone and brought it to the range. And he gripped it and was kind of like looking at it. And then he went to go hit it. And he goes, I'm going to hit this fat. It's too long. And they were like, uh, no, Rosie, it's your specs. He goes, take it in, test it again. And it was like two millimeters. <laughs> I mean, dude, in the, member guest, in the member guest last year, now I had been drinking a little bit. So uh, I'd been having some beers for sure um, for days in a row. I, we, were up in the, we were up in the match feeling good. Somehow I got it into this fairway. The, the, the hole's my nemesis. And the hole's not my nemesis because it's in my head. The hole's my nemesis because it has a left to right wind and out of bounds is right. And I tend to block it. <laughs> so it's it, it, for whatever reason that day, I, I guess I'd have enough aiming juice that I wasn't really, uh, I depressed my nervous system enough to the point of zero fear and hit it down the fairway and had a nine iron to a back pin. I'm very good with a nine iron, perfect number, get up over it, hit this thing gorgeous looking shot goes straight over the flag straight over the green onto the street out of bounds and i picked the club up and realized that i grabbed my six iron but it looked like it was a nine iron in the bag that's that's oh, how geez. unlike so that's basically how unlike unlike them i am right <laughs> two two millimeters and two grams and i i even take the club look down it obviously probably didn't look like a nine iron but it had a six that looked like a nine backwards there you go Totally. Yeah. Go ahead, Matt. Well, I'm curious when you talk about Rosie too, like watching him and just in all his great play and as being the best player in the world. And he just looks like he's truly in his own world out there. And I know you don't like the word pre-shot routine, but it's just, what can you say about your experience with him? He just, it, it just looks the same. And it just looks, he's so disciplined and dedicated to, his process and it just i don't know uh, talk about him a little bit and it really just always sticks out when i watch him like he's just so committed to what he does yeah he, well things can always appear certain ways right he's he's a human being like anybody else but he's worked a lot with jason goldsmith for years now jason was a friend of mine for a decade and jason was the co-inventor of the focus band so you are you guys familiar? No, I don't think it. No, I don't think so. So basically, what Jason does is is well, he helps him with his pre-shot routine, I guess. Um, but they do they do a lot more than that. Um, basically, the focus band is EEG type of technology, and it just monitors one. It monitors when your eyes are busy and when they're quiet. And that quiet eye theory comes from that professor at University of Calgary uh, years ago um, on where the eyes go. So, you know, from eight feet when she had the pros, and the eyes went to the hole and back. Like they kept looking at a very similar place. Whereas amateurs' eyes went all over the place, like all around the hole, outside the hole, 
Sure. So vision is obviously important, right? <laughs> um, super, super important. Um, and it, it could be for another time, but there's the discussions about like cognition and how our brain is wired, you know, to the age of 26. So if somebody has uh, low spatial awareness, then they're, for lack of a better word, their pre-shot routine, right? Um, the looks at the target would have to be more often and then the whole thing would take less time. Whereas if someone has very high spatial awareness, they can stand over the ball and still see the target for like a long time. Um, the, they, the, these guys I talked to worked with uh, NFL quarterbacks and they were like, every single NFL quarterback had like off the chart spatial memory. And I made the comment, well, that makes sense because if they didn't, they'd all be paralyzed. So okay. they're technically starting to duck from a hit that's five seconds away, just as their brains, you know, has a memory of a defense. That's why like Brady and those guys watch so much film, right? Yeah. That's far more important than like a, a kind of a pre-shot, right? This, the ability to know what the defense does, be able to adapt, but to just have this crazy awareness of space. Hmm. Um, and then there's something uh, was angular acuity. So it had to do with the ability for your eyes to see shapes in space. So someone like a Jordan Spieth, he's not been tested, but I'm sure he's got like off the charts because a lot of times he says he doesn't even have to read putts. He just sees it. Mm -hmm. Whereas I would imagine like Danny Willett's very low in angular acuity. And it's not something you can improve. How you improve that is you learn aim point or you have a caddy that can read putts. Sure. It's just, it's, it's like something you're not capable of seeing shapes in space. There's no, it's not right or wrong. It's just kind of, so that, that, that was also, that's something I need to revisit actually when I have some time, those guys had some really cool, cool, uh, cool stuff. But I mean, kind of, I have this picture in my head that 10 years from now I'm going to be at a tournament and some young player I'm working with is going to say, I read an article that used to be a swing coach. <laughs> I, I love the swing. It's, it's, oh, not, yeah. it's not that difficult. The difficult part is trying to get them to do the things that are right for them that you know work, find different ways to say the same thing so you don't get boring, um, and then just be there to make sure that they're not tinkering and looking for, look, everyone wants to hit it better. Everyone, every, everyone sits on the range and goes through 50 different things in their head to make the next shot better. Um, we all do that. I go to the range and I sit there and it's very difficult for me to work on what I need to work on. I'm always looking for a faster way to a better place. And that's, right. that basically means I'm going to be in that position for a long time. So it's just being there, you know, and then it's just the, the, the rest of what we're talking about is just, I think it's just far more important at, at that level. Yeah, for sure. So Sean, last question then, if, if that article says you used to be a swing coach in 10 years, what do you think you want to be? Almost a director of like performance. So hmm. having met the people I've met and the people that I talk to, um, being able to put like really good environments around players and that look, it could be an NFL quarterback. I, 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 I could, I, I want to, uh, I might have an opportunity to speak to Toronto Maple Leafs, the Orlando magic, about these things we're discussing. So one, 
really simple way to get better at anything is make the training really hard. <laughs> right? Yeah. That's it. So, you know, we're basically, a lot of golfers are kind of, say, Navy SEALs, and they're just shooting, you know, shooting off their belly all day. And that's great. You got to learn how to do that. But the best of the best can hit you at a thousand yards from a helicopter and you're in a moving car. That's, that's a different set. That's a different wisdom. And that wisdom can only come from the experience that you have. And that experience can only come from the amount of different environments you train in. It's like how many times players, like when it's going to rain, they're, they're like, oh shit. Cause no one likes right. swinging and rain. No one likes swinging in rain gear. How many guys put rain gear on and practice in it, put it on a track man, or even 3d to find out like what it, what, what does the rain gear do to change their motion? Cause it, it would slightly, but, but we don't do that. Yeah. We, so we, we just bitch about it. Like almost everything we bitch about has a serious solution to it. Totally. It's just, I, I just think, <laughs> I, I just think that sometimes people are addicted to suffering more than they realize. And, and I've been there and I know what that's, I, I know what that's like. And, I remember there was this thing that I took a picture of and it was, it was a psychiatrist, which I'm not, a, I'm, I, I'm more for that. I'm more for the medis, medical aspects. PhD is a tricky thing sometimes, right? Cause basically you write a paper about one thing for two years and then everyone goes, Oh, he's a PhD. Okay. So he knows that one thing very, very well. Okay. So that's good. If you're going to be a professor in university or what have you, but like the doctor's thrown in way too much. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah, basically, if someone gives me a business card and all it does is have their certifications on there, I'm probably not going to call them back, right? Yeah. Because if the, the world is full of, of, of experts now who've done 22-day seminars. And the guy who did the seminar has been studying his whole life and still doesn't really know what it is, right? So it's like right. that, uh, that, 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 that tricks me. That, that kind of annoys me. So that's the idea is if you are wanting to be a better iron player, then go in a fairway bunker and practice for a month. I guarantee you, you get better if no one tells you a word, not one word. Make it <laughs> more difficult. Yeah. Make it more, make it more, make it more difficult, right? If you struggle with your chipping, find the hardest lie you can find and just sit there and show up and do it and show up again and show up again and show up again and show up again. Most everything you learned is you learn like that, and figure it out. Yeah, I mean, I, I when <laughs> Lydia first came, when Lydia came to me five months ago, um, we went on the range. She was aimed miles right. She was standing too far away from the ball, and everything she was feeling was coming from that. Mm -hmm. So we, she's hitting like a kind of a pull hook, and then I get her aimed at it slightly left of it. And I put the ball slightly back in her stance and I get her closer to it. And after 10 minutes of kind of a bunch of like variable, inconsistent stuff, she just starts hitting this one yard fade every time, every time, every time. And then she came the next day and she was talking about shaffling. And I said, look, Lydia, you don't have enough power to lean the shaft and hit the ball high enough. So we sat behind a tree at the back of the range and hit five irons over that tree for hours and then started doing it when she practiced and then getting her to hit off a really high tee 
with five irons. I, I love five iron because it's like, if you hit it great, it's, it's, if you hit it great, it's very pleasing, but it will show what you're not doing well. A nine iron won't do that. An eight iron won't do that. Eight iron's the most hit golf club on a PGA Tour driving range. Um, <laughs> go, through, go through Instagram. People are not sending slow-mo videos of three irons. They're not. So, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, and that's another thing that's been so interesting, you know, is looking at it. It's like anyone doing my job, uh, I have respect for. I know it's not easy. It's a grind. Uh, it's hard to get to where you can really make a living doing it. Um, but it's just amazing to see like on Instagram, how people are posting a swing that they took a hundred videos of and finally liked one swing the way that it looked and then posting their players, good scores. No one ever posts their players, bad scores. It's once again, it's just not the real world, is it? And so I think that yeah. when, when you, that I'll, I'll end on this story. This is really cool. So I, I've been fortunate enough to go about five years. Um, and it, it's in Aspen. It's called The Weekend with Charlie Rose. It, you remember Charlie Rose as yeah. the journalist. Yeah. And that was one of the coolest things in my career is when I went on a show. I had 45-minute spot on the show, sitting, sitting in the same chair of people who had, like, changed the universe. And it was really – that was awesome. That was amazing. Um, and so – Unfortunately, you know, Charlie had had uh, these allegations, you know, that he was uh, not being a man of character and integrity. We'll put it like that. Right. Uh, yep. As I know, as I know him, he was a really brilliant mind and a solid guy. But obviously, I'm, I'm not down with with that stuff. Right. And so we go to this thing every single year, my wife and I and I would teach golf from three to five. Uh, Bulletary would teach tennis from three to five. Mia Hamm, the soccer player, would take him on a hike. Uh, Andre Iguodala did a hydration and breathing course. Uh, so really cool, right? Like, so we were allowed to go oh, into all, totally. the, all the discussions. So the discussions were like, you know, the head of the CIA, the head of MI6 talking about threats. And, you know, you couldn't, like, you, you couldn't video it. You couldn't do anything. It was, you know everybody, anybody in the world who's anybody's in that room, I'm talking about heads of state, heads of Google, heads of Microsoft. So it's like a three-day thing. It's incredible. And so one of the breakouts Charlie brought this, I forget his name, but he's an African-American artist from Compton who's like, was the biggest thing in the world at that time. Um, really tall guy, 6'6", six, six, very handsome. Uh, he was gay. And so when Charlie was asking about the story of his life, how did he start to paint and blah, blah, blah. So obviously growing up a gay kid in Compton would be about the hardest place to grow up a gay kid. And so he lived with his mom. He still does. And so he was talking about what he did and, and, and how he painted and that it was therapy for him and he felt safe there and all that stuff, right? We hear that all the time, right? So Nancy Pelosi gets up and says, um, she, she said, I have a question. Um, you know, when I write, she said, well, I have a statement and a question. When I write, sometimes I just feel like this thing of consciousness just come through me and I just, I'm writing it. You know, is it like that for you at all? And he's kind of looking at her confused and he's like, uh, uh, no, ma'am. Um, 
basically I get up at five, I have breakfast with my mom, I go to the studio at six, and then I paint until four. Uh, and I do that every day till one of you give me $10 million for it. <laughs> and so everyone started cracking up and, and she's like, so what is it then? He goes, I just show up. I show up when I don't want to be there. I show up when I want to be there. I just show up and do what I do and I wait. And I just, mm. that's, that's it. I show up wow. whether I want to be there or not. If I don't want to be there, two hours into it, I get locked in and then I do. Mm -hmm. Right. Like most of the things we don't want to do, if you just do it, I mean, it's the greatest slogan ever, obviously. Right. But if we just do it. You get into it. You know what I mean? You can't, oh, this is going to be so hard and this and this and that. Nothing ever really is that way. It's not easy, but it's not as hard as we make it to be before we even experience it. Yep. And so basically, he, he, in, in the simplest terms, he shows up regardless of how he feels. And he just paints. And then he waits and that's it. And he doesn't I love that. He doesn't, he doesn't even that's really like a lot. He doesn't even really like a lot of the stuff he does. He finds so much wrong with it. Well, that's why he's the, that's why he's one of the greatest. It doesn't mean that he actually thinks he's great. He probably thinks the opposite. Mm -hmm. And that's what that's. So we got to remember at the basis of all of it within the biology, insecurity is a very, very powerful motivator. We think that insecurity is like the epitome of like not living. Look, the key is to be secure with your insecurities. And then, you know, to realize that we all have stories about ourselves. And the reason that we struggle in society with people is because we think they see the same thing in us that we see in ourselves. But yeah. there's no way they, there's no way they couldn't possibly. It's all made up bullshit in our head, anyways. Well, it makes so much sense. And this reminds me of, and then we'll get you out of here. You've been really generous with your time. We've loved this. Um, I'm, I don't know if you've read it, but Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Yeah, yeah. Um, it makes so much sense that all of the good stuff and the truth is in the thing that everybody's avoiding, which is pain yeah. and struggle, right? It's just yeah. so simple. And the painting example is great because he does it without judgment. He just does it. And there's nothing that. like that second wind in a workout when you didn't want to do it right? And then you start to get energy midway through and you start to get into it. And then you feel so good after. Just show up. Yeah. Just show up. <laughs> That's, I, That's I, it. I mean, <laughs> right. I, I, I love it. I, over the years when I was with Tiger so many times, you know, players would come up and ask him for his advice. And I can't tell you how many times he just <laughs> said, he just said, just play better, dude. <laughs> They're like, yeah, I know. But you know, I, I, dip, 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 dip. he goes, look, just play better and that was it that's amazing right. he showed up a lot in his career i mean oh dude that's the hundred percent always always and probably practiced a ton of rain gear i guarantee you did well th and that's what i mean practicing on downhill lies right practicing in the rain like that kind of like more than yeah, we're, we're, we're gonna go to augusta next week where there's not one tournament all year where you'll have so many side hill lies TV can't play, do it justice. Not even close. Not even, no. It, it, that's when you really see that. It, 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 the first time I went there and I walked down number one and up the hill, I went, wow. Like, I never even – I could tell there was a hill, but I didn't know it was a cliff. Um, and so they're going to go out in the course. They're going to underappreciate the effect of loft 
and where it points on different slopes. And then they're going to come back to a flat line and work on their swing. I mean, that's what we're going to do. I already know we're going to do that. <laughs> you, it, to me, that would be the week where you would, you know, being on the range is great. There's nothing wrong with that. But you just be out there all week on the money even lies. But it's, it's like a culture. It's like a thing. It's like, okay, be there an hour early, hit balls, chip for 20 minutes, get done, do my drills, hit some more balls, do some pitching. It, that's still work. But I just don't think that we're like looking at it. I think maybe we're all doing it wrong. Just some are better at doing it wrong. I don't really know how right we're doing it. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I just, after 14 years of coaching on tour, um, I feel like I've never been so lost and never so found. It's, it's just because it just keeps, it's both. It's, it's both some days, some days it's easy. And some days it's like, it's impossible. I never go back and try to figure out what's going on. I just show up. Like I, I, when he said show up, I was like, that's what you do, buddy. That's what you've always done. You just show up. I mean, I, I, I talk to myself probably nonstop all day, but I, it's, I don't know what else there is to do. So it's you, you, you show up. <laughs> I, I love it. It's, so, and, and think about like this slogan with Nike, right? Just do it. Shit. One of the greatest <laughs> slogans in the history of marketing, just do it. Don't bitch about it. Don't complain about it. Just do it. Mm -hmm. You know, so we're there to, to help with the how and the why a little bit, Absolutely. but I mean, every guy I've coached on the PGA tour, except Cameron were on the PGA tour when I met them. So, you know, I charge 5% of what they earn on the golf course. So I'm 5% of the solution and I'm 5% of the win. I'm 5% of the miscut. There's no other way to look at it. I know you're new to Instagram, so we've got to plug it. Sean <laughs> fully performance on Instagram. Is there anywhere else you want to send people or anything you want to close with other than show up? Yeah, no. Um, yeah, I've been, I've been kind of, I've been, I've, I've been, I've, en I've enjoyed it. I, 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 I think that, I think if any kind of like social media strategist or like, you know, people who have that job, I think if they looked at it, they'd go, oh my God, this is so ineffective and so inefficient. And you could be at a hundred thousand followers by now. Um, and then I would tell them, that's not why I'm doing it. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I started it because at some point I'm de designing a website and then that's going to move into, to me, it, I saw it more as a business account, right? But um, I just share whatever I like. I, I'm not overly concerned if you do or you don't, right? So yep. it's, it's been cool. And then to get people to realize like, yeah, man, this is just not all golf swings. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I did I did one the other day on that director of the KGB who defected and wrote that book, The Deception Game, and talked about how psychological operations, how it worked and what they figured out with people to get them to where they could create confusion, anger, and chaos. And that's and that's and that's all we see right now. This is just straight up this is straight it up all, playbook. It all ties in. Yeah, but the thing is now so much easier dude it's it's right, right it's, it's it's right there on your phone and you don't even know and you don't even know and they have people they pay a lot of money to make sure that so you just get further down the rabbit hole right i mean honestly like someone told me the other day like literally believed voted in 2016 um against hillary clinton i'm not really for either of them to be honest with you i'm canadian um because she was running a child prostitution ring out, out of a pizza parlor.
I mean, you can't write that. How good's that? I mean, that now that person lives in a two million dollar house. This is this is not like we're not in we're not like we're not in the bayou. We're not in the bayou in Louisiana. So that kind of cult of personality, dude. Cult cultivate. You see what I'm saying? They're cultivating what you think, and you don't even know they're doing it. So I tell people to check that one out. I just freestyled it for five minutes. just to put it on there, just to kind of be like, you're too on the ground with this. You need to be above this and look down on it and realize this is what, this is what's happening. Okay. We're not that different. We're not that separate. We're not that divided. We just think we are. Yep. Why do we think that? Because it's right here. I'm quoting Noam Chomsky, who's worked at MIT for 52 years in linguistics and um, uh, philosophy. And my buddy's saying that his opinion matters when it comes from Anderson Cooper and Sean Hannity. And I'm like, no, dude, no, this is, it's not a fair fight. Like this is Mike Tyson against the six-year-old right now. Well, I used to say, I have the right to my opinion. I go, you don't have the right to your opinion. You do have the right to your opinion, but not in a discussion that's based on math. Right. Like you can have, you, if you told me I like chocolate chip cookies and I went, no, not for me, brownies. Okay, we can have an opinion on that. But the opinion is the median between knowledge and ignorance. And so I'm not really interested in your opinion on things that are mathematical. And everything is mathematical. The whole thing is math. So it's just interesting, right? So who knows where, who knows where if we go down, down that road a little bit. I just think there needs to be voices that are so moderate that they're the hyphen between the E and the R. And just being able to say, you know, I said something the other day and the guy goes, oh, well, you know, you're, you're such a liberal. And I said, no, I'm not a label at all. Like, I'm, 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 I, it's way more complex than that. He's like, well, you're a Democrat then. And I'm like, I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know what I am. And he says, well, did you like Obama? And I said, I thought he was an incredible man. I said, do I think one man really has any power over a country? Not as much as people probably think. Do I think that he saved the economy? Uh, I think he did a pretty good job with Geithner and Paulson and all those guys. He doesn't even know the people I'm talking about. And so, but I can also admit that Bill Clinton uh, was one of the worst things that ever happened to African-American men in this country. So it like, I'll end it with this, right? I'll end it with this. Malcolm X said, I'm against injustice, no matter who it's against, and I'm for the truth, no matter who's telling it. That's, that's it. That's it. That's it. That's it for me. Like, for me, for me, that's, that's, exact, that's, ex, that's, exactly, that's exactly what it is. Well, what a way to finish. Sean, thanks so much for coming yeah. on. You never know. Sometimes you just reach out. You're probably expecting, like, oh, no, he's too busy or whatever. <laughs> but that's just the funniest thing is that, because people have that preconceived notion that it's not going to happen for them, then they never do it. So it's kind of like, and then I talked to um, Adam Long. Yeah. We just had him on the show. Yeah. I did. I, I, because when I saw your thing and then I saw Adam Long's name, then I thought Adam was a part of the, so I asked him and I said, am I doing a, I said, am I doing a podcast with you? And he goes, "Uh, what are you talking about? I said, the part, the part train. And he goes, no, no, I did one. So he, he, he gave, uh, he gave you guys a good review. So I was like, all right, I'll do it. Love it. Well, that's great to hear. (laughs) 
Well, Sean, yeah. best of luck and take care. And hopefully we can do this again. I'd love to dive in on, you know, something even deeper. If one of my three players wins the Masters, which I, I have a feeling is going to happen. Um, and the reason I'm giggling about that is because every time I get that feeling on Sunday, I'm extra desperate and upset and I don't know why. And then I go, oh, that's right. You envisioned. Oh, right, right. That, that's, you feel so terrible right now because you created such a vision in your head that probably wasn't going to happen. Yeah. Well, well, we'll best of we'll luck to here. them anyways, right? Yeah, we'll right. For them. yeah we'll, we'll, we'll be watching. We'll, we'll, I've had many times I'm on the course and it's right there. And the fans are like, Mr. Foley, how are you feeling? You know, you're excited. You're in the lead, seven holes left. And I'm like, mm, I'll let you know at 7 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> But, 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 but I'm, I'm, when, when Cameron was in the lead of the PGA Championship at Harding this year, playing with uh, um, Colin Morikawa, uh, maybe this, his generation's Ben Hogan. And uh, Cam was in the lead after 62 yeah. holes. He made like a 10-footer. And he even had like a bit of a fist, even had a bit of a fist pump, and he doesn't really do things like that. So I was uh, on the course with Steph Curry. And... Lydia Ko had a five-stroke lead with four holes left to play. So they're both leading on their tours. And I've had that. I've, I've, I've almost done that a few times, like a few times. Um, even like with an opposite event and another PGA Tour event, twice almost, first and second. That would have been wicked. But, um, and so when my friend said to me, he's like, man, how do you feel like this could be unbelievable? I go, yeah, but it's probably going to be pretty disappointing. And he's like, well, why? I said, what is the chances? Like, what's the mathematical probability? One in what? I don't even know. But I, I guarantee you it's more than a million. So I said, I'm just going to enjoy the fact, like, that, it's, that this, is, this is what it is right now. Well, she's got a five-stroke lead. I said, well, I guess we'll see what her scar tissue is like. I don't know. Well, she'll either have a 10 stroke lead or who sure. knows and anything can happen. So you can look at it mentally, but look, that girl made 23 birdies in 46 holes. Not bad. She was, she was probably destined to have a bad stretch somewhere. Yeah. So you can sit there and think about it for a week about what you did wrong and what you should do better next time. Or you can just realize when you go four over the first 11, no one ever talks about it but they certainly do if it's the last seven holes. Right. Yeah. Totally. It's, happening all, it's happening all week. <laughs> totally. Well, we'll be watching on Sunday at all the right, Masters. Guys. Take care, Sean. Thanks again. All, right. all the best. Thanks, Sean. All right. Bye. Peace.